fundraisers like you are working to supply your cause with the resources it needs to make the world a better place. But donor expectations and technology seems to keep changing. At Pursuant, we want to bring you conversations that put leaders like you at the top of your fundraising game. Welcome to the Go Beyond Fundraising Podcast. In today's episode, we dive into the admittedly broad topic of artificial intelligence and attempt to make sense of how new developments in AI will impact the nonprofit space. Along the way, we'll also discuss why AI matters to nonprofits and what's crucial for them to consider when adopting this groundbreaking technology. From improving operational efficiency to unlocking new ways of engaging donors, AI holds immense potential for nonprofits of all sizes. Welcome everyone back to another episode of Fundraising Today. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. There's been some changes happening uh, and a lot happening in the industry with lots of conferences and events, but we are excited to be back. Today, I am joined by two colleagues who I love having conversations with, and we are having a discussion about AI. It's a big topic, but before we uh, give some definitions and qualifications around this topic of artificial intelligence, I'd love to introduce today's guests. First, I am joined by Don Galasso. Don, would you mind um, introducing who you are and what you do at Giving DNA and Pursuant? Yeah, thanks, Leah. It's great to be here. I'm the VP of Technology at Giving DNA. I have about a decade of experience in data analytics. I've worked for many different data um, vendors, and I've been at Giving DNA for coming up on two years. I typically share the spotlight with you on our LinkedIn Lives. Yes, glad to have you back. Uh, and so, and then our guest that we're really excited about today because we've been itching to get him on our in some of our various podcasts and blogs is our chief product developer at Giving DNA, David Stanton. Yeah, as uh, Leah mentioned, I'm uh, Dave Stanton, and I had a product um, at Pursuant and specifically focused on Giving DNA, and uh, have been actually kind of working on the Giving DNA product um, since about 2017. But with Pursuant since uh, 2019, when uh, the little startup I was at uh, came over in an acquisition and excited to be here. Glad to have you. So, Dave, um, I really appreciate your background in the technology space because you've spent you know a number of years trying to create technology solutions to essentially make it easier for fundraisers to do their job. Right. That's and mm-hmm. that we can all get behind that. And so I wanted to bring you and Don on to talk about artificial intelligence, because it's a big topic. It's a very broad topic. And I I don't imagine in a 10 to 15 minute LinkedIn live, we can cover all of our bases. But we wanted to cover a few of the things that have been in the news lately. um, And I think answer some questions or, or at least attempt to answer some questions that fundraisers and nonprofit leaders are asking right now about how is AI relevant to the job that I'm currently doing? Does it threaten any jobs in the future? Uh, where can it create some efficiencies, save some time? And what are some precautions to keep in mind? So where I would love to kind of start, and I'd love for you to jump in and, and address this, Dave. So when, we're, when we talk about AI, there are many different forms of AI that we've probably been interacting with for years now, but it's been kind of behind the scenes. 
So what is it about some of these new forms of artificial intelligence that just has everybody scratching their heads and, you know, we just can't seem to stop talking about it? Yeah, it's a great question. I I think the first part is that to step back or start the beginning, at, at a very high level, AI is essentially using machines to replicate cognitive function for humans, like human intelligence, but in an artificial sense, which sounds obvious and everybody knows. But I think that um, a lot of times people start like, you know, multiple steps down the rabbit hole. And so that's kind of like a good level set. And so AI development work has been around actually for decades. And there's been a lot of advancements. And I think that the biggest difference is that a lot of the things that people had seen before were behind the scenes in different technology products um, that they were using. Um, everything from you know uh, shopping on Amazon to driving their car to any other you know kind of like business B two B products that they're leveraging at their company or nonprofit. But it didn't feel like AI, even though that might have been something that was kind of underlying. And so I think that's probably why we've there's been around for a while, but not as much top of mind. It's just like, oh, you know, it's uh, Amazon recommended a great product that I, I wanted to be used or, um, oh, this is nice. You know, my um, e- my Gmail, you know, can like give, finish my sentence um, pretty accurately, things of that nature. But now I think why it's definitely become more front top of mind for many people is that with this rapid revolution in uh, these large um, uh, language models and things like ChatGPT and others, you know, everybody is um, making one now. It's um, much more of a, um, well, it's, it's, it's not just a consumer product, it's a business product as well. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but it's much more in your face, something that everyone can access and something that is uh, definitely kind of like a magical moment with what it can do. And so I think that's definitely leading a lot of the public kind of um, awareness. It's also, it just seems like it's been like the snowball that all of a sudden turned into this huge thing overnight. But to your point, Dave, you know, we've been interacting with AI for a long time. And so it's actually changed, I think, the way people expect the different things that they use to interact with them. And I think for the nonprofit space, why that's important is because when when our expectations in our real world is changing, our donors live in the real world, right? And so if our donors are used to being going onto Amazon or saying, hey, Alexa, I need this. And Alexa all of a sudden, you know, next month says, do you need more of this thing that you've been buying on a regular basis? How does Alexa know that? Or how does Amazon know the things that I want, which I have a very different experience on Amazon than you do, and knows in a timely fashion? And we're having to, Dave, we laughed earlier. I saw a meme today on Instagram or something that basically was like, I don't even create a shopping list anymore. I just yell into my living room all the different things I need to shop. And all of a sudden, it shows up at my front door, right? Like, that's how crazy it is. But we're being conditioned to this. And so, you know, it's my product getting to me the type of product that I want when I want it. And so when we think about our nonprofits, our donors are having that same expectation with us from a nonprofit perspective. Are we telling them the right thing that they want to hear at the right time all the time? And so we, we the only way that we're going to be able to accomplish that from a nonprofit space is by accepting artificial intelligence, understanding at least enough about it to know what technology can help. And then using that technology to help with those easy things to do, not those 
really complex things, but those easy things like finishing my my email on Google because it kind of knows what the rest of my sentence is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think um, not to uh, um, jump ahead to some potential questions from Leah, but I think it's a really good point what you brought up that it's part of the donor experience within their just daily lives. And there's been a lot of different comparisons of what kind of technological revolution this is. And and I, I don't know, and there's pretty good arguments for a lot of them, but I think uh, two good ones that I like are mobile and even farther back, just like when JavaScript got introduced. And, and the reason I share those is that before you just had like these static, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like kind of essentially like these like basic static websites. And then now there was essentially this new language where you could make more interactive experiences. So the thing was, if your website was just this like essentially looking like a Word document, then, it, you know, you were falling behind no matter what your product or service was, because there was just this whole new way to essentially interact online. And same thing where like, you know, now like there's so many companies, it's been true for a long time, where if you don't have like a mobile first approach and an app, then you're going to fall way behind. And so I think that this has a lot of similar connotations where AI is, I can't think of the right word, but essentially like kind of going throughout everything that we do and everything that our donors do. And so that it's really important to be able to learn and embrace the technology and leverage it in the best way possible for your organization, because it's going to be an expected way to interact with all different types of technology. Yeah, there's there's so many things we could, we could discuss when it comes to AI. And I think the one that would be probably best to focus on is the time-saving aspect, which is also kind of the aspect of it that is also frightening to a lot of folks is, is it going to make some jobs irrelevant, even though it's going to save, it could potentially save a lot of time and help you find some efficiencies. But specifically when it comes to different practices within fundraising, what are some applications of AI, Dave, that you are like currently seeing being rolled out to the nonprofit space? And then what are some applications that you see could happen down the road? There's a, a handful of applications that have been around for a little while, that but that people probably were, or they, they might may or may not have been aware, depending also on the company they're using and how the marketing material looked, but existed already. Things like, you know, there's different um, modeling for segmentation, for sending out appeals, finding lookalike models, and then going to third-party vendor to purchase a list. And then even underlying AI within some of the commercial marketing, you know, distribution tools that they were using to help them, you know, kind of like write those appeals or, you know, set up those different landing pages, what have you. Um, so I think that there's there's been kind of low level of some behind the scenes AI or and, and different kind of subgroups underneath that, like machine learning and so forth, that have been uh, fueling that. And so that has existed for a little uh, for a little while and will continue. And then I think the, you know, the, one of the big ones that's really interesting is obviously with these things like ChatGPT, where there's a huge plethora of potential things that people can do. And, and we're just scratching the surface. And I think that we could have this conversation like next week and there'd be 10 more things and next, next month, a hundred more and next year, a thousand more. So uh, it's just growing exponentially. But some of the specific ones are, I think it can really do a lot to turbocharge the you know client strategists that are working on behalf of these um, organizations, the fundraisers at these organizations to um, help them to put together you know better and um, quicker appeals putting together um, imagery like for um, that you would go out in these appeals, whether it's an email or physical letter and being able to essentially do a lot of the busy work 
but a lot faster. You can even, you know, uh, you got to be careful, obviously, on um, sharing sensitive data, but, you know, it can help to, um, you know, reformat like spreadsheets and, and things of that nature. And so I think that one of the big things that's really interesting and straightforward right now is that it can really make it so that the fundraisers can focus on kind of like the harder problems and um, reduce a lot of that busy work where they might be spending hours just like typing out something standard that, you know, a chat GPT or somebody similar could put together very quickly. And then they kind of edit and tweak based on whatever they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Another example, Dave, along those same lines is even things like when I talk to nonprofits all the time and even things like okay, I would need to look at my donors who are upgrading, downgrading, or staying the same year over year. How do most of them accomplish it right now? They're using pivot tables on an annual basis and literally like cutting and pasting data in a very, very time-consuming process where there's technology out there that can do that same time, like literally same time. Or who are my lapsing donors? Do, do, do I get that out from a pivot table? Does my CRM tell me that? How can I get it? And so just the simple things like that are things that are already available that a lot of nonprofits are, might not even realize is out in the marketplace already. Like, why are you still using pivot tables and spending, you know, three or four days to find my upgrades and my downgrades year over year or month over month, right? I, technology can do that for me. So, you know, yes, it's going to save me time, but I very rarely talk to a nonprofit a person that's working in a nonprofit that says they can't use some of their time better, right? So instead of it being a fearful experience, which I think, you know, people start to see something like ChatGPT, which is a very sophisticated AI, at least in my opinion, and, you know, is it going to replace me as a copywriter? That's a very different conversation than using the tech, some technology that's out there. And hey, heck, even if it's going to replace some of what you do as a copywriter, I guarantee you, you can replace that in, that with other stuff in your job that you currently are getting to because you're spending all your time doing copywriting or pivot tables. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. I know. Have you guys seen the new Photoshop update where you can kind of like like extend like a picture and type in what you want? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and you can also go in and, for example, ask it to edit elements of a picture. So I watched someone do this where they wanted to make a child from like a developing country in a picture look slightly less sad <laughs> for an appeal and just make him look a little happier. You're, exa you're exactly right. And like just being able to essentially kind of, you know, type in essentially in, in your, uh, you know, simple English query or whatever your language, they probably take multiple languages to then uh, get that output rather than spending hours tweaking it is really powerful. And so uh, th there's obviously a direct correlation with uh, putting together an image for, um, you know, certain like appeals or websites, what have you. But I think that also there's going to be lots of opportunities to what you were talking about, Don, of being able to ask those simple questions and having an AI run that really complex analysis of people that are likely to upgrade in the key multi-year life cycle, but they went to my gala last week, you know, those really complex questions that might take a while for you to do in your current systems, you can just ask really quickly. And then one, not only does that empower you, to be able to work on you know, fundraising with them much faster than spending a bunch of time waiting for that data to return either from your data analytics team or doing it yourself. But then also now I think that there's another level where maybe you only have enough time to do one of those analysis. And you got to like think, okay, I think this is the right question to ask. 
Whereas now you can ask a hundred questions, it gets done in a minute, and then you can kind of comb through that. And you're like, oh, actually, there's a different subgroup that I should be focusing on, or there's a different opportunity, but I just didn't, you know, the appeal was due at the end of the week. I only had enough time to run one or two of these types of queries and then analyze that data to try to make a decision. So I think it also empowers you to access more information to make some of those better decisions. You have to do less assuming because we all know what uh, you know assuming means, right? And so let, do do less of that and a more data driven strategy by looking at and then uh, even things like looking at what's performing and what's not performing in a way that you might not be able to currently, right? Like, okay, I think this campaign performed, but I can't get the data out to really see whether it performed or not, or did it make money or lose money? I'm not 100% sure. So being able to use the right tools to help you with that can be critical in making sure that you're making the right pivoting from a strategic standpoint in any given time during the year as well. Yeah, and also there's a lot of interesting stuff that I've only started to just play around with myself, but kind of treating like a chat GPT or similar in a recursive nature where you kind of like, you can ask it, you know, how to ask better questions, right? Or what do you think I did well or wrong with this? Like certain, you know, it's like, hey, I wrote this like, you know, essay or whatever. And and, and you, you essentially use it in, to get like consistent feedback and throughout the conversation that you're having with it. So there's also gonna be um, definitely opportunities for, okay, you know, here are my, you know, you can see my results from this campaign. What would you have done better? What what did I do wrong? Even though you, maybe you hit your goals, you thought it was successful. It's like, oh, actually, there was a word in your copy that that's shown recently doesn't resonate as well because for whatever reason, or, you know, I, I don't know what the answers would be, right? But I think there's definitely going to be lots of ways that it can be almost like, you know, a partner or like an additional team member that you can be kind of bouncing ideas off of and improving with. Yeah, I love that. And I think I think with ChatGPT in particular, everyone's like, oh, there's, it's going to take copywriters jobs. But I know I use it a lot, but I don't use it for my writing because I like my voice when I write. And so I want, but when I do say, throw it in there to just, if it, I feel like I'm too wordy, can you take my voice and just edit it to fewer words? Or can you take my copy and give me a cool a cool subject line for it so that it gets more opens when I send it out? And so I'm using it to enhance what I'm doing rather than replace what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's going to be um, the case for many people as well. So let's shift into some of the precautions that we should be thinking about when it comes to AI. One of them that you mentioned a few moments ago, Dave, has with uh, is with data privacy. There's been several organizations like uh, large companies that have actually forbidden their employees from using ChatGPT or certain other kinds of like AI helping tools in their day-to-day jobs because they're afraid of trade secrets actually being inputted and, and learned by that AI and being able to be stolen by other users of it. So for example, Apple has said that they're not going to allow their employees to use AI there was another one uh, that I think I think even uh, Microsoft is saying that they're not going, even though they're investing in in AI. They say, "Hey, we don't want you to. We want you to be very careful and thoughtful about how you're using this in your your day to day." And there's even some things happening with uh, that that are coming around the pike with with search and how search might be changing. And should nonprofits be completely redoing their websites to be more AI friendly as opposed to the traditional way you rank for keywords. So what are some things that uh, we should be careful of as we start to wade into these other applications of AI to make sure that we don't inadvertently 
you know, leak a bunch of donor information to the public in, in worst case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's two things. The first one I would say, and I'm speculating a little bit, but I would guess that in the first example of like, you know, like Apple, Microsoft, so forth, the other major AI players are their competitors. So I can definitely see why they're like, well, we don't want, you know, a bunch of Apple engineers to be leveraging OpenAI, which, you know, Microsoft just bought a, a majority stake or 50% or whatever um, in, because then they might be getting a bunch of like, you know, secret sauce and it's going right to our main competitor and same or with Google, same, same type of thing. So I think there's definitely like a big tech competitor concern there. That's obviously less so for the nonprofits, but there's definitely a big um, and privacy is concerned. Um, and not only for your proprietary data or different ways of fundraising that you wouldn't want to get out there, but also just like, you know, we have lots of PII and there's depending on the organization, if it's a healthcare, it has um, HIPAA regulations it needs to follow. And so uh, you definitely want to be cautious and also, you know, talking with your employees probably yesterday about making sure that, you know, what they're, they're not sharing any sensitive information. And so, but that being said, there's also a lot of uh, solutions that are working on privacy or essentially like kind of like gated solutions that um, will allow you to protect that data. Nothing against uh, OpenAI or ChatGPT, but you know, they, they explicitly say like, hey, uh, you know, we're learning from this. this you're going to share it with some of our AI researchers, so forth, and don't even necessarily upload sensitive data. And so that's one that you definitely should not do, and it's going to go right to potentially be vulnerable. But then there's other organizations that are essentially working on creating like these like kind of walled gardens or these gated areas where you can integrate it into your um, system, what, you know, whatever your database and, and leveraging um, your, uh, your technology stack, but in a more secure area where essentially you're owning that data, but then leveraging one of like their models. Um, and I know all the big, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, are all working on this. And there's some solutions that are already out there. So I think it's probably just being a good shopper, so to speak, when you're looking around at what to leverage and uh, being very cognizant of that. But there's definitely um, uh, solutions. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're looking at using some technology in the nonprofit space that has AI embedded in it, looking at the privacy policies, looking at what types of security clearances have they gone through, what is it hosted on? These are all different things that you can look at for different levels of security. So that if you're sending data, especially around donors and donors' information to a separate third party for uh, an append or whatever the case may be, that you're going with somebody who is a trusted person and is not going to use your data in a way that you did not intend for them to use it. And any good technology company is going to be able to provide that to you easily so that you can have access to that. Another thing to think about when you're thinking about even something like ChatGPT is, and Dave, we talked about we talked about this in the past, is understanding that there's innate biases within some of the AI that's built, especially around language learning models, because there's a person behind the scenes potentially that is doing some of those things. So we've all heard about potential biases when I Google something or when I, you know, type something into ChatGPT. So I think you always need to be cognizant to at least have kind of a gimbaled eye around what the results and don't trust them implicitly when you're going out with like a message to a nonprofit audience without really doing your due diligence to ensure that whatever you're sharing is as accurate as possible. Yeah, um, that's for sure. And, and I would probably also echo that these models are getting 
incredibly good and they will continue to get really good, but they are very far away from like not <laughs> being able to like uh, work completely unsupervised. And so being able to um, check for that um, is, is definitely important because then not only of the potential biases that could be in there from whoever built it, but also they're just as they're only as good as their training data. And so there can be intentional or many times unintentional things that it might have, um, you know, is reading on the internet or whatever. And it's like taking that in as learning, but it was a, a, a random weird Reddit post or whatever it may be. Nothing against Reddit, but like kind of less uh, trustworthy than, you know, a, a peer reviewed like scientific paper or something like that. And, and they have ways actually already to like kind of control for some of that, but still it's not perfect. And so it's definitely good to like give that kind of additional human combing and editing. Yeah, when, when I think about it, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday of, of last week, there was somebody who had created the Pentagon being bombed or something like that. It was a picture of the Pentagon being bombed. Well, it was created using artificial intelligence, obviously, some sort of intelligence that created that through Photoshop or whatever the case may be. But then what happened was, is because the news went out, the stock market started to crash because the stock market has built in automations where people sell based on where the people don't even sell a machine sells based on news. And so before they could even write that, the stock market started to take a big tumble because the machines that trade thought that there was an issue. So that's kind of on the for-profit space, something where, you know, this is a tumble, a a big effect that could happen over time. Um, So you have to be super careful about it. Yeah. Being careful about verifying and researching some of the results that some of these language models give back to you is really important. But I wanted to circle back to this topic of data. And I think it's it's an important nuance to dig into because one thing that all of these, some of these AIs that, that rely on essentially combing through vast libraries of data to be able to see patterns and put together recommendations from, you know, 15,000 different articles about birds, right? And then give you the the best potential article they think you could you could write about, you know, the Carolina wren or something because it's read all the things about it. It's important as nonprofits start to think about future or current applications of using AI to do segmentation or help create um, some personalization recommendations. Uh, especially if you are using AI in a closed universe of data, that that data has to be clean and it has to be very comprehensive. Asking an AI to look at a spreadsheet with, you know, 15 columns of information, there's only so much it could do with that, right? So how can nonprofits start to very carefully and ethically start to learn more about their donors so that if there is, you know, a future application of AI where they could use some model, some modeling to be able to get some insights out of it, how can they start to lay that groundwork now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, we've talked a little bit about the, you know, um, positives, negatives for the different, um, you know, AI models that are out there and what can, uh, and how that can essentially play out. I think that specifically here, and also, I should say, we talked about some of the privacy concerns. So if you solve for some of those and you like found a really good um, you know, AI that you really like that you think can be really beneficial, it uh, solves for all the privacy and security concerns, then I think that feeding it the most data possible, frankly, is uh, the best option. Because like you said, it's only as good as the training data and what it learns from. And 
there's also going to be a lot more improvements on being able to already it can adjust a lot of different types of data, but it just it's only um, improved. It's improving extremely rapidly and only continue to. And so I, I think that you want to be able to share as much as possible because then it's going to be able to do that just that much better. And that's like not only kind of like donor and, and giving files. But then any other information you have um, about, you know, your constituent base, the demographics or psychographics or um, uh, different preferences that they have, all of those things um, can be fed in to then better inform for, you know, what you should write in that appeal or what different types of segment groups you should invite to this, you know, uh, fancy dinner or whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that the more that when you think about whoever's doing this technology and this artificial intelligence for you, are they ingesting internal data that they can analyze as well as analyze the external data that they might also be providing to you? If they're not looking at the internal data and they're only looking at the external data, they're only seeing a part of the story. And an example that I would that I think is, has always been fascinating occurred in a separate lifetime with, with me with another organization. But the, the example is, is, is like this. I was working with an organization, a disease and cure organization, and they were a very large cancer research organization. You know, we talked to them and they thought they knew a lot about their data. And one of the things that they felt very sure about was is that they knew who their donor was and their donor was somebody who had a first generation connection to cancer, which meant they either had cancer themselves or spouse, child, parent had cancer. And they had made this assumption over years and they had been messaging that way and everything else with that same assumption. When looking at the data, by ingesting all of that different data, disparate data, data that you're talking about, what we actually found in the analysis is, is that they were, it was actually a negative correlation because the closer you are to cancer, the more likely you are going to support the type of cancer you have from a research perspective, the further away you are from cancer, the more you just want cancer research to be going on because you don't know where you might be affected or your family member might be affected. And so being able to look at that data and use artificial intelligence to, to read that data and then model off of it became super critical in how those conversations are going. So again, those kind of assumptions of, oh, I think I know who my donor is because I put them on a pivot table and I looked at that. If you can use artificial intelligence to dig deeper into that and be like, wait, my assumptions weren't accurate. Let's make some adjustments to the communications that we're sending out because now now we know better who our donor is can be really strategically beneficial. Yeah, I completely agree. And you just uh, triggered two thoughts for me, actually. One is that I think that it can help you identify, you know, those um, like really beneficial patterns. And it can also be extremely inexpensive partner to do something of this analysis. So simple example is like, think about how much, how much it costs to buy like a TV, you know, a thousand years ago, or I mean, <laughs> 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, not a thousand. And then um, how, you know, it's thousands of dollars. And then now how much that came down. And so we're already seeing that like kind of race to the bottom with a lot of these AI. And so in a similar vein to kind of tie back those two points where I remember we worked with a tennis organization um, one time and they were like trying to figure out who would be some of their best donors? And they were like, oh, well, we think, you know, people who play tennis. Then they ended up like kind of uh, hiring us to help run some models to try to identify some of these patterns. And it was not people who play tennis. It was not um, actually even parents. It was grandparents of people who play tennis because they wanted to donate to who their grandkids were, um, were supporting. 
we're not really in this business. So I'm not really putting on as much of talking myself out of a job, but like, you know, they had to like wait for us to go like kind of take in the data, run some different analysis, try to look comb through it. It costs a bunch more money. It takes a bunch more time where now you could say, who are some of the best donors? And then it might give some readouts. And then you can also kind of ask some follow-up questions based on that information that it gives you and be running that analysis for a orders of magnitude less of a cost and very quickly to be able to learn and improve. And so I think there's like a lot, that's what I mean is there's a lot of those two different advantages of being able to learn and find better opportunities with your donors, but then also much quicker and for much less money. Right now, it's such a critical thing anyways, because our when we did a, we do a pulse report uh, at Pursuant, and when we did our pulse report at the end of last year, we asked a couple of questions around what they what fundraisers thought 2023 was going to be like. And it was very interesting. Almost every single one that we talked to, I don't know the exact percentages, but but a large percentage of the nonprofits that we talked to that responded to our through our survey said that they um, um, their goal for 2023 was at least, if not more, than their goal for 2022, which was here to be honest with you, with inflation and everything, but they were being expected to do it on the same or less headcount. So they're expected to be doing more with fewer people. And oh, by the way, our donors are, the, the number of donors in the United States are shrinking as well. So I've got fewer people raising more money with fewer people out there willing to give. And so being able to get in front of the right people, again, back to my Amazon conversation from the very beginning, which was, the reason why I go to Amazon is because it knows what I want, when I want it, how I want to receive it. So that's my go-to. Like literally, that's my go-to for everything. And I know I can get it faster than than anywhere else. So our nonprofits are going to need to have the same ability, especially going forward, because our donors expect it from every other aspect of their life. And we've got less time to do more. And so that combination is really requiring the nonprofit space to look at artificial intelligence and embrace the ones that they feel comfortable with. Well, there's so much more on this topic that I feel like we could talk about that we could probably do a whole nother episode about, but I think we're going to need a wrap there for today. So Dave and Don, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And I can't wait to sit down and talk about it once we have, you know, five more additional huge questions to address on this topic. Thank you for, Thanks being for joining. Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having me.